Kristen Chernyshoff and Daniel Bograd Udell, today's guests, lead Wikitongues, a nonprofit that works to preserve languages that are being forgotten, having already safeguarded materials in 700 languages. She will also share insights about her superpower connecting with people. Daniel will share his unshakable optimism. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Kristen. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I'm really excited to learn about what you're doing. I mean, it's it's an award-winning effort that you are undertaking and so critically important. Uh, Daniel, why don't you take just a minute and tell us, uh, give us kind of the quick overview. Sure. Well, 7,000 languages are spoken or signed today, but as many as 3,000 languages could disappear in a generation erasing half of humanity's cultural, historical, and ecological knowledge. It's important to take a moment and emphasize that languages don't just die naturally. Uh, People abandon mother tongues because they're forced to by economic exclusion, political oppression, or violence. Language extinction is not inevitable. The flip side of that is that language revitalization is possible. With the right resources, adults can learn ancestral languages and teach their children, raising new native speakers and breathing fresh life into their culture. So uh, Wikitongues helps people keep their languages alive. We safeguard endangered and at-risk languages. We expand access to critical mother tongue resources, and we directly support language revitalization. This is really uh, a fascinating thing because it, it seems to me, Kristen, maybe you can comment on this, that this is so much more important than it may seem to a person at first blush, right? This isn't just about the language. What are the implications of language and language loss as you see it, Kristen? Yeah, language loss impacts all facets of our lives. Uh, Daniel and I can really go off on a tangent on this one um, because it impacts not only our um, personal uh, our personal sense of self um, really roundabout way of saying that our sense of self um, our mental health but also access to education quality of education economics gdp is impacted by it also brain health um, multilingualism is great for the brain just being around multiple languages even if you're monolingual yourself can impact your brain's gray matter things like this uh, it also impacts nature um, biology there's studies that shows uh, that the more diverse our world is with languages it also supports the diversity of species um, so it really comes into all different aspects and has an impact on each and every one of us I think uh, I read recently from some of the information you sent over, Daniel, that uh, there's even a correlation with suicide and language loss. Is that right? Did I understand that correctly? Uh, Yes, you did. Um, We have to go back and remember why people lose their mother tongues. They lose their mother tongues because they're forced to by political oppression or marginalization beyond their control. So when you lose your language, you are losing a way to connect with your grandparents, your great grandparents, your ancestors, your peoplehood. And often the language that you end up speaking is the language of whatever culture oppressed your ancestors. So 
when that's your circumstance, that can create lasting psychological damage if you're the generation that lost that language. And if you're the generation born after that language was lost, there is intergenerational trauma that you experience. There is a kind of rootlessness of the spirit that you experience. And, and there's just a severance from your most recent ancestors. And we know that when communities, uh, you know, experience disruptions of generational bonds that can lead to destabilization uh, and all sorts of problems with mental health. So language revitalization is the process of repairing those severed bonds. It's the process of rediscovering your roots and where you come from. It's the process of getting a better sense of who you are, the sense of yourself, as Kristen just said, right? And so it's not uncommon for communities that have recently experienced some form of genocide or violent oppression to have higher rates of suicide because of all of the mental health problems that come from experiencing those crimes. And language revitalization is an immediate redress to that. So it's a healing force. Um, and this has been studied explicitly in, among indigenous communities in North America and Australia. Um, who until the 1970s and 80s in both countries were actually obliged to go to violent assimilating schools where they were beaten for speaking their languages. Um, over the past 30 to 40 years, language revitalization has grown both in Australia and the United States, as well as Canada. And um, suicide rates in communities that have had strong revitalization projects have lowered. Um, so there is direct evidence for that. Yeah, I, I've done just a little bit of work in the Navajo community. And so I've come to see that uh, there are uh, a small population uh, exists of people who are senior, uh, older than I am, say, and uh, who speak only Navajo or primarily Navajo and don't speak English well or at all. And yet there are uh, their grandchildren and great-grandchildren are inclined to only speak English. They know very little Navajo. Uh, now, I don't know if you're doing any work with the Navajo, but Kristen, maybe you could just take a minute and describe some of the activities, the specifics of how you're helping uh, the activists revitalize a language so that you know, the grandchildren can talk to their grandparents again. Yeah, that's that's a great and timely question. Um, I don't know if we're, to answer the first part of that, I don't believe we're working specifically with anyone in the Navajo Nation at the moment. I Have we recorded anything in the past with anyone, Daniel? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, we have a couple of videos um, so, in yeah. Navajo, um, but we haven't uh, been involved with any revitalization efforts in the Navajo right. Nation. Right, yeah. Although they have, have them, done... there's some really cool stuff um, going oh, on. Oh, good. Yeah, there is some yeah. cool stuff. Um, so, Kristen, give, yeah, us a, so... give us a sense of the model. What, what are the activities? Yeah. yeah, so, well, one thing we're doing at Wikitongues right now is we just launched our first ever public language revitalization accelerator. Applications are open for 10 more days. Um, they're due January 23rd, and we Within this cohort, we will fund 15 language activists who are working on any type of community language projects, ranging from building, devising a board game, 
for their language, uh, creating children's books so that, as you've mentioned previously, grandkids or grandparents can read to their grandkids a bedtime story in their, let's say, Navajo, in the Navajo language to pass it down to the grandchildren. Um, So the projects can really range. It could be app development, um, doing a Wikimedia project in your language. And so we will be funding 15 projects. This is very exciting for us because we've been looking forward to doing something for this like this for years. We've been working on building a, a program out. Um, and right now, there are some grant opportunities like this around the world, but they're primarily focused in specific regions. In Canada, for the First Nations, um, the First People Cultural Council, they give out some great grants uh, for language activists, primarily in Canada and within First Nations communities. There's also some institutes in Australia that do similar things and regional specific. And so as far as we know, this is one of the first opportunities mm-hmm. for people to apply no matter what, where you're located geographically, if it's online, in person, things like that. So we're trying to make it as easy as possible to access this money because getting funding for these types of projects historically has been very challenging. Um, governments in the past have, as Daniel has mentioned, have been on the on the w- that side of history in terms of um, oppressing languages as opposed to lifting them up. And so as that slowly starts to change, we're trying to make this more um, easy for people to access money to support their language. And so that's what we're specifically doing. And as I briefly mentioned in that long uh, rant just now, there are people doing projects that range across a variety of things. So Daniel uh, met with someone a couple weeks ago to play the first edition of a new board game that they worked on with Mongolian language activists to bring the Mongolian language into this very traditional, um, but my, I, I was at the event, but looks amazing. Um, so there, there's a Mongolian language based board game coming out. There's also, for example, Cherokee activists about 10 years ago created a Mac keyboard for the Cherokee language so that you could have, you know, as opposed to using the Roman alphabet, the Latin alphabet for the Cherokee language and having to get creative with different commands and things like that, you now can have the Cherokee language keyboard. Um, so people are working on projects like that all around the world. And it's uh, it's exciting to watch and be a part of. It is. That is. I can't imagine the difference that would make to a community in terms of keeping a language vital to have a keyboard as something as, you know, we take absolutely for granted with English and so many other uh, big world, you know, big languages from Mandarin to German, but my gosh, uh, these languages that are at the, at the brink would, would benefit tremendously from, from having that same resource. Um, Daniel, how did you get this started? What brought you to this work? That's a great question. Um, I wanted to add one thing, which is that in addition to funding, uh, we're providing a year of training and in-kind support. So it'll function very similarly to a startup accelerator or a research fellowship. But in this case, it's for starting the process of revitalizing your language because um, as Kristen pointed out, funding is very, very hard to access. So are frameworks and methodologies for figuring out what your language needs, be it games um, or mother tongue uh, movies as is happening in the Navajo Nation right now. They're actually translating a lot of classic films into Navajo, um, whether it's a keyboard, whether it's 
uh, early childhood immersion programs, it's very difficult or inaccessible to figure out what your language needs and then develop a measurable plan to implement those needs. So um, we're going to be helping people through that process as well. Um, how did I get into this? Uh, well, Kristen and I have both a very different uh, background, so it, I think we should we should both answer this one. Um, Great. I was first exposed to uh, a family language uh, that isn't a globally dominant one at a very young age. Uh, my grandparents on my father's side were Yiddish speakers, and uh, the language kind of stopped with him, although he definitely retained a lot of it in what a linguist might call a post-vernacular sense. His mother tongue was English, but it was heavily, heavily peppered with Yiddish, and he would use a lot of those Yiddish fragments with me, and I knew that they were Jewish words, and I knew that they were our words, but it wouldn't be for a while that I would come to realize that they were actually the remnants of a, of a living family language that, you know, had been ours, you know, just two generations ago. It only takes a generation to forget. Um, I was raised pretty much monolingually aside from that, although my mother really wanted me to learn Spanish and French. And uh, when I was older, that, that came true, at least for Spanish. I, I spent two years in Spain, uh, where I learned to speak Spanish, and then also Catalan, which was persecuted by the Spanish government during the Franco dictatorship in most of the 20th century, uh, but has been successfully revitalized uh, since the 1980s. And so living in a part of the world where a revitalized language was spoken and growing um, and culturally central uh, to the lives of the people who use it, uh, I think helped distill uh, just how important language is. And, and it got me thinking about my own languages as well. So um, back in the US, I wanted to get involved with language revitalization, uh, but I was studying history and design. I wasn't studying linguistics. And um, I started Wikitongues as a YouTube channel uh, where people could submit videos of uh, themselves or their community members or their friends speaking uh, in their mother tongues and everything kind of snowballed from there. Uh, we first started supporting revitalization in 2020. Kristen and I teamed up with two linguists from, or a linguist and an anthropologist from the Living Tongues Institute for Endangered Languages and Aligned Nonprofit uh, to put together a framework for starting a revitalization project that we published in a free PDF. And then last year we supported we, we, we was the first time that we provided direct support to um, revitalization projects. We helped a few get off the ground uh, in Texas with the uh, Black Seminole or Afro Seminole language, Afro Seminole Creole language spoken by the Black Seminole community. And in fact, the, the woman who kickstarted that project is someone who you should definitely have on, on your podcast. Her name is Wendy Goodlow. Um, we helped uh, a Mother Tongue Institute for the Kihunde language in uh, Goma and the DR Congo uh, get off the ground. And we also provided some seed funding to uh, a Wahi language documentation project um, in Russia. So um, that was really exciting. And uh, the accelerator that Kristen was talking about is um, kind of the next stage in, in of development of that, that project. That's great. Kristen, share your background and how you got yeah. here. Yeah. Um, well, I joined Wikitongues in 2017, and we can we can work back from 
from there, I was doing my master's degree at Helsinki University, um, and I was looking for a language for a linguistics, a documentation a linguistics course, and I couldn't find an audio recording of this language anywhere. Right now, I can't remember what language it was, but it's a Bantu language from Kenya. I kept trying to find a recording of this. I looked in university archives and you know European museums and all these places and couldn't access it. Um, and someone said to me, hey, have you checked out Wikitongues? And at the time, Wikitongues was still in the, the young YouTube project stages. So our SEO wasn't really boosting us up at the top. Um, <laughs> and so I uh, said, no, I hadn't heard of it. So I, I looked at Wikitongues and they had a recording and I had spent weeks looking for a recording of this. And I instantly thought, this is the coolest thing. I have to have to jump on board. Um, so that's when I joined Wikitongues, but the way I got there was a bit of a roller coaster and uh, a maze getting there. I was born in a small town in Alabama, um, so I actually grew up with a, a nice little northeastern Alabama Appalachian dialect. Um, uh, and so I had a interesting childhood in that my mom's best friend was from Ethiopia and was an Amharic speaker. Um, and my dad's, a lot of my dad's close friends, um, he works in the disability movement in the U.S. And so he has a lot of close friends who are deaf or either child of deaf adults. And so both of my parents are fluent in American Sign Language. So I grew up in Alabama, you know, in a small town um, with Amharic regularly in my ears and learning sign, American Sign Language. And so I had a very interesting linguistic background. Um, and then based on my last name, I, of course, have some Russian heritage that unfortunately wasn't passed down on the language side of things. Um, and so growing up, I I didn't think about language specifically in like ling linguistic rights context, but it was impacting me on a regular basis, especially when we left Alabama. We, we moved to Florida when I was in elementary school and I uh, was bullied a lot for, for how I spoke and how my variety of English was very different um, than everyone else. And so um, I learned it wasn't at this level as a lot of people around the world face. It wasn't at a government level or, a, you know, I wasn't not allowed to speak my language. But at the same time, I had this personal suppression where I, I quickly learned how to switch my English um, and do like a dialectal code switching when I, I speak how you hear me now, very less Alabama. And so I was always interested in language from that aspect. And slowly moved and learned that there could be a field and there's a career in this and there's opportunities for getting more involved in this and um yeah ensuring we have linguistic diversity around the world and so that's that's kind of how i ended up at wikitongues brilliant brilliant daniel i wonder if you would take a minute and uh, give us an example of a successful program that you have seen or observed in, in your stretch at working at Wikitongues, uh, help us understand, you know, something that works from what you've seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think the most successful revitalization projects are projects that are constantly reevaluating themselves uh, and constantly setting new goals. Because if you take a step back and you assess the vitality of your language and you realize that hardly anyone under 40 speaks the language anymore and that only elders in the community are the ones who actively speak it. And you say, okay, we want to restore the language to the primary language of our community 
That's a daunting, interdisciplinary, intergenerational task. And you're not going to just start that and hope for the best and, and, and maybe it'll work. We'll find out in 50 years, right? Um, so you need to look at it in the same way that a nonprofit looks at its overall mission and kind of say, okay, we know this is the world that we're working toward, right? But what can we do in 10 years? And if we know that we have this goal 10 years from now, what happens? Uh, how, how do we get there? How do we, how do we, how do we structure the next three years to set up self set ourselves up for success in the next 10, right? Um, so there's one one of the projects that we helped get off the ground last year, the Afro-Seminole Creole language is in a pretty critical state. It's code red for their language. There's only a few dozen native speakers. Um, it is an under-resourced language. They have one 1,000 word dictionary and a grammar sketch and a couple tra uh, transliterated monologues. Um, how do you go about planning for this language to be the mother tongue of the Black Seminole community again? So Wendy Goodlow, who started the project, the, the first revitalization project for that language said, okay, well, the very first thing that we need is an adult learner community. And so she has spent the past year seeding that. So she, you know, reached out to the linguist who wrote that one 1000 word dictionary and started structuring some online zoom courses. And they've been hosting online gatherings as much as they can and are going to start transitioning in person again. They had a kind of mixed in person gathering last slash online thing last September, but that was effectively the first goal. And the metric that she's measuring her success by is how many people are active in that learner community. And when that community becomes more active, the next goal is gonna be an actual level of fluency among them. Then the goal might shift to growing the learner community or ensuring that the adults in that learner community who have kids are speaking to their kids so there are new native speakers. And one really inspirational story is that of the Tunica Biloxi tribe of Louisiana, whose language originally went extinct or dormant as more preferred term in 1948 when the last native speaker died. Um, in the 1980s, a member of the tribe named Donna Pierre realized that they had a language and that she wanted to bring that language back. So she drove to New Orleans and Baton Rouge and photocopied old dictionaries that were stored away in university archives, brought the language home and raised her kids. So her first step was making it a family language. And then from there, they wanted to get more families involved. And it kind of slowly snowballed from there. Today, uh, the tribal government supports the revitalization project. 10% of the community is involved, is enrolled in immersion classes. There are 32 new fluent speakers, some of whom are speaking to their children, raising new native speakers, right? And they are one of the reasons that there is an official reawakening category of vitality. Uh, according to UNESCO and SIL and the organizations that monitor this stuff, because here was an example of a language that was dormant and kind of nurtured back to life. Um, so, or reawakened, reawakened. It was just sleeping, the language. And um, 
that's just incredible. But but they, they got yeah. there because they have been able to understand the long game and then kind of break that down into more measurable bits. Um, of course, yeah. the first language that was ever revitalized was Hebrew, which went dormant as a mother tongue in the second century and was revitalized as a mother tongue in the 19th century, about 1,600 years later, <laughs> and is now yeah, mother tongue wow. of 5 million Jewish people. Um, yeah. And But anyway, I, I, th th those are a, a few uh, examples that um, uh, get me, that I'm always excited to talk about. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Kristen, what is your superpower? Oh, my superpower. Daniel and I were, uh, you know, marinating <laughs> this earlier today. <laughs> um, I, I think my superpower is connecting with people. So I, we mentioned, we, we touched on my varied background, uh, you know, being from Alabama and then living in Finland and living abroad um, in various continents. I, I've had a chance to really meet a lot of different people and different, you know, different careers and different backgrounds and things like that. And uh, just, you know, being someone who's a transplant and um, immigrating and immigrating also uh, really um, makes you reach out to people and try to create a home wherever you are. And I I grew up um, in somewhat of a caretaker role. And so I think I've always been trying to reach out and make people feel like they're at home um, and make them feel like they have a place at least near me that if they don't have a home right then and there, they can ha create one with me in that moment. So I think my superpower is connecting with people. Excellent. Excellent. What a powerful superpower. Uh, Daniel, what is your superpower? Uh, optimism. Excellent. Unshakable optimism. <laughs> there you go. How do you find that helps you in your work? Well, um, language revitalization requires optimism. When you start a, a, a project to reawaken your language, you need to have a degree of faith that a generation from now you will have had success and that a, a new generation in your community will appreciate what you've done. Um, but boy, you got to be patient. And um, we're trying to make that process accessible to people on a global scale with not a lot of time because half the world's languages could disappear in a generation you know, elders are dying, taking their languages with them, and in many cases, leaving few, if any, mother tongue materials behind, uh, which means that even if a future generation wants to revitalize those languages, they may not be able to, right? So um, I, I don't think a pessimist would be cut out for this. <laughs> yeah. Um, candidly. Yeah. I see that. I see it. Kristen, what about you? How does connecting with people, that superpower, help you with your work? Yeah, as Daniel said, it's it's a it's difficult um, to revitalize a language. It's a lot of hard work. It might not happen in your lifetime if you're getting a project started. You know, um, you might feel alone at times. You might be the only one working on this. You might be the one person in your community who is able to launch a revitalization project or wants to launch a revitalization project. You might have pushback from people 
in the community, maybe elders or younger people who want to do it differently. Um, and so at times it can make you feel quite alone. And so I think knowing that someone is in your corner and having someone cheer you on and support you and just listen and be there for it, it can be really helpful in staying motivated and feeling that, you know, this hard work and doing this on my weekends, it's, it's worth it. And knowing that someone's there, listen, it, it helps keep you going, I think. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, Daniel, if you were trying to teach someone to be more optimistic, what would you encourage them to do to build that optimism muscle? <laughs> that is a very, uh, very good question. Um, I think I would encourage you to understand possibility as limitless um, and all not always achievable. So on one hand, you have to learn to um, really let your vision um, take you anywhere. And, and then you also kind of have to manage your own expectations. Um, and be kind to yourself when you don't always live up to those goals. Um, I also think it's really important uh, to occasionally take stock of what you have been able to do um, because you can't, I think it was this, I think it was Obama who said that you can't move forward without first consolidating your gains, right? And And that is so important. So I guess there's a certain degree of, of simply paying attention uh, to what you want to do, what you're able to do, um, and an awareness that, that um, nothing will happen unless someone does it, right? So um, yeah. a, these are the things that I would keep in mind if you want to build your optimism muscle. Excellent. So Kristen, what about you? How would you encourage people to develop their connecting with other people muscles? Yeah. Well, the first things that come to mind are the things that you, you always read. Um, so, you know, trying to develop your active listening, which I am definitely working on. I'm not great at, so still working on that putting my phone up when I'm having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. That's been a big help with the active listening, but really one for me that I've been practicing for years and it sounds a bit odd and maybe a bit creepy, but it, it gets the job done. Um, when I talk to someone and they mention, even if it's for a work thing and they mention a test that's coming up that they're nervous about maybe two weeks from now or um, a grandma's 80th birthday, I write it down immediately and then once we finish talking, I'll put it in my work calendar as like an email notification. So I'll get a push notification. And I do that with almost everything that seems like I might want to check in with them or tell them good luck or ask them how it went, because I don't want to take for granted that, you know, I know that I want to remember it, but my mind gets full of other things. I'll probably forget it. There's a good chance I'll remember it. I'm I like the minute details and I am quite the type A organized person, but still I want to make sure I check in with them. Um, and so people really appreciate, I've noticed that when, you know, we'll have a call and three months later, I'll say like, Hey, I know you have that big test coming up tomorrow. 
good luck with it. Hope it goes well. And knowing that someone Mm -hmm. took the time out to remember that and keep that in their calendar kind of gives like a nice little warming hug. And it's really helped me with connecting with people and getting to know them a bit more intimately. Fantastic. I think that's great, great, great advice. Well, Kristen, Daniel, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us. We we love the work you're doing and uh, want to celebrate that with you. Uh, before you go, would you, uh, Daniel, maybe you could take a minute and tell us how people can connect with you, how they can learn more about Wikitongues uh, and how they can support you or engage with you, how they can apply for the, the uh is it a fellowship, uh, the grant? Uh, yeah. You know, g- give us the rundown here uh, as we wrap up. Sure. Um, well, if you want to get involved with Wikitongues, uh, you can go to wikitongues.org languages. Uh, there will be a portal to submit language documentation if you have it. If you want to apply to join the Language Revitalization Accelerator, you can go to wikitongues.org slash accelerator and apply. The application is very short. We're not trying to waste anybody's time. Um, Applications are only open until January 23rd, so I'm aware that this podcast might drop after that. However, uh, the accelerator is funded through 2025, so there will be opportunities to apply again uh, next year and the year after that at least. And we're actually going to support 25 projects next year and 35 after that. So there will even be uh, a bigger pie to get a slice of. Um, and if you want to donate, you can go to wikitongues.org slash donate. And um, if there's anything else, if you have a question that isn't easily answerable just by perusing um, our site, uh, write to us. Our email is hello at wikitongues.org. So if you have a project that might need a very specific kind of support, or um, if you're trying to uh, understand something uh, about language and linguistics or revitalization, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to answer. Um, lastly, uh, you can go to wikitongues.org slash toolkit and download our free guide for starting a revitalization project. Uh, so if you you know want to get started, but you don't even really know where to start, uh, try giving that a read. Um, that might help. Fantastic. Fantastic. Kristen, maybe you could just take a minute to add some suggestions on social media handles, if you have those off the top of your head. We are across the board just at Wikitongues. Um, our most Uh, popular or most active social media is YouTube. Uh, We post language videos quite regularly and we have an archive dating back almost eight years now where you can find videos. You can also add subtitles and help caption videos if you'd like to be a part and do um, a low touch volunteering right there. Um, We're also quite active on Twitter. Daniel posts a lot and uh, shares some cool stuff happening within the community. So you can follow us on Twitter. We have LinkedIn. We both have our personal LinkedIn that you can find on our names. Um, We have Facebook and Instagram. And Wikitongues has a defunct TikTok. We never really figured out how to do that one. But you can find (laughs) us across the board at Wikitongues. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, we we want to wish you every success. My gosh, this is so critically important and so fundamental. Uh, we want to see you thrive and succeed for the sake of all those you're helping. Uh, and uh, so good luck to you.
Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Or in Yiddish, uh, a shanum dunk. <laughs> Thank you. Now, let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.